0: Hey, last week we had a baptism. Uh, Harold Thurman was baptized into Christ, and Hazel and Harold have placed their membership now at Vera Christian Church. They attend the 830 service. Some of you know who they are. They've been attending here for years as winter residents, but they wanted to officially place their membership. And although Harold's been a follower of Christ uh, for years and years and years... He had studied uh, biblical baptism and decided he needed to do that because he had never done that before. We have a very brief clip of that uh, baptism for you that was performed by a friend of his named Harry. Amen. they it get all wet. All right, there we go. Kevin Thompson writes that when he was young in his church, he witnessed many ordinations, elder ordinations and deacon ordinations. And it was a tradition in their particular church that uh, the the existing elders and deacons would file past the candidates and whisper into their ear a prayer, a word of encouragement. And he always assumed that these were holy words that were being spoken until it was his turn to sit in that seat and be prayed for. He was being ordained. And he said, the men filed by, and he did receive many encouraging prayers and, and scriptures. But one, one of the elders came by, whispered into his ear, he said, he said everyone out there thinks I'm, I'm saying to you some special, really holy words. I can't think of any holy words to say. And so he said, may the force be with you, Godspeed, and go Gators. We're going to have an ordination at the end of the sermon today, but hopefully we'll have something a little better to say than may the force be with you and go Gators. Now, we're going to ordain an elder and a deacon this morning, but um, we've been in a sermon series in 1 Peter, as you know, and Peter in his letter addresses himself to the elders, and he doesn't address himself to the deacons. That is true in other places in the Bible. The Apostle Paul does, so I'm going to focus most of my comments on that passage in First Peter that has to do with the elders. But we don't want to slight the deacons. Deacons are important. They're worthy of their, their own sermon, really. But Paul writes this about deacons in 1 Timothy 3.18. Deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. And before they're appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. Manage his children and household well. And those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. And Eddie Richburg is going to be ordained as deacon, and he is all of those things and more. We rejoice with him and we celebrate him. Now, coming to 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter addresses this relationship between elders and the congregation in the church. It's, it's one of several authority-submission relationships that he addresses in his letter. Slaves and masters, uh, citizens to their government, wives to husbands. I've preached on two of those. I've already preached on slaves and masters, citizens to the government. I have not yet preached on wives submitting to their husbands. I'm just waiting on Tammy to approve the manuscript. (laughs) I know we're all really waiting for that one, but it's coming. But today, the authority-submission relationship is elder to congregation. So let's get those verses before us this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So I'm going to say four things about elders this morning from this passage. But note, now I've capitalized examples here because all of this, Peter says, when we're talking about elders, they are being examples to all of us. That means these are things we're all to model. When we read what we just read, Paul said to deacons the qualities of their life. What Paul says about elders, what Peter says about elders, that's thing, those are things all of us as Christians are to be striving for. And really, as we talk about pastoral care and shepherding work, we all have a role to play in the spheres of influence that we have. We are building people. There's broad application for what we're going to be talking about. If you're a parent right, or a grandparent and we, we have shepherding responsibilities. If we're a Bible study leader, a life group leader, if we're a scout leader, CEO, uh, there are many spheres where we can exercise what we're going to learn here about elders this morning. So I hope we'll, we'll bear that in mind as we go through. Four things today that Peter says about elders. Number one, elders are older men. Elders are older men. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. The word here in the original language is presbyteros. Uh, Presbyteros referred to an older man. The the nouns in the Greek language have genders, and that noun is masculine. And it it would have been used of someone who is at least 30 years old or older, typically. Now, we have what some have referred to as a youth culture or youth emphasis culture here in America where in some people's minds, if you're over 30, you don't know anything. You don't listen to anybody over 30. But that wasn't so in biblical times. The nation of Israel, their leaders were elders. That was the term that's most often used. That's the term that's most often used in the New Testament as well. That was carried over. So they would have been older. the, The word presbytery, you know, presbyteros means old man. So if you go up to your elder and say, hey, old man, you know, that's technically correct, may not carry the connotation of respect that this word presbyteros did. So they're older, number one, and number two, they're men. They were men, like I said. The gender of the word is masculine, and our elders in our church and most Christian churches are men uh, for three reasons. Number one, because of that gender. Number two, because as Paul gives the qualifications of an elder, he says the husband of one wife. It's one of the qualifications. And in that day, that would have been a man. And uh, the third reason, First Timothy 2.12, Paul says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. Uh, and so, that's rooted in creation, not some particular cultural situation that was going on in Ephesus. So, in our churches, uh, elders are men, always men. That's, not, that's controversial <laughs> in some churches. You know what's going on with gender roles in our society. That's been going on for a long time, and churches fight battles over this. I don't think it's, it's not been controversial in this church as a rule. It may be in some people's minds. I'm not going to do a deep dive into gender roles in the Bible today. I do have a couple of resources. If anybody does want to do a deeper dive into it, uh, this first one is by Kathy Keller. It's called Jesus, Justice, and Gender Roles. Some of you may recognize the name Timothy Keller. has written some great, great books. This is his wife. It's brief. It's only 40 pages. It's an easy read. It's very, very well written. These are cheap online. This is in our library if anybody wants to check it out and look at it. And this other one's a little bit deeper dive. It's called The Gender Roles Debate by theologian Jack Cottrell. This is in our library as well. But again, you can order it online. So he goes a little deeper. It's still not that big of a book, and it's easy to understand. Okay, so most probably aren't interested in doing that deeper dive, but I do like to recommend resources to those who are. And so my first point here is very simple just older men. Same four things about elders from what Peter says. Here's the second thing elders are pastoral men. Pastoral men. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. The word for shepherd here is poimen. It means shepherd. Peter saying shepherd the flock. He's saying pastor the flock. Do the work of a shepherd. So uh, elders are shepher- they're pastors. The pastors are the elders. The elders are the pastors. We're not talking about two different roles here. We're talking about the same person, the same office as you will. Now, a lot of folks, depending on the denomination that one may have grown up in, might be used to referring to their preacher as the pastor. Well, some of you may, that may be your experience. The preacher is the pastor. Now, technically and biblically speaking, that is usually not correct. That is usually not biblical. When you look at church polity in the New Testament, you know, polity means government or organization. and That's what we do as a restoration church. We look at the churches in the New Testament. We look at the book of Acts, the church at Jerusalem, the church at Rome, the church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth. We look for a pattern there in our church. We try to restore that pattern in what we do. So when you look at those churches in the New Testament, they never had one pastor over a church. Never. It never occurs in the Bible. You never have a person who is the pastor of the church, maybe with a board of deacons or something like that. You always had a New Testament church polity, a plurality of elders serving together, the collegiate eldership. Right? They're the elders, they're the pastors, never just one pastor. Uh, a lot of folks refer to me as the pastor, and and I would just let you know I'm not, I'm not the pastor of this church. I'm not even a pastor of this church. I'm not an elected elder in this church. Now, when people call me that, rarely do I ever correct anyone. I I don't make a big deal about it because it's not a big deal to me. And I understand folks who do that, coming from their background, it's a, it's a term of respect to them. It may be a term of endearment. So I, I get that. It's not a big deal. But we do want to be as biblically accurate as we can in our terminology. So th- I'm not a pastor. What do we call you, Steve? They call me Steve. <laughs> That's my name. My mother gave it to me. It's a fine name. It works just good. Or if you want to, call me Preacher Steve. That's fine. But just just want to make that distinction. And that's not even the main point. That's, That's kind of a sidebar. The main point here about elders is that elders are pastoral men. They are doing the shepherding, the pastoring of the congregation. Why do we even need that? Why do we need shepherds? Why do we need elders? Why do we need pastors? Well, because we are sheep. We are sheep. Now, one commentary says this about this imagery of of the church as a flock of sheep. It conjures up an animal that is gentle, defenseless, liable to stray, needing a shepherd, happy, peaceful, under his care, pitiful when lost and scattered. Sheep need someone to look out for them, to provide for them. Sheep, of course, need food and water, but they also need protection from wild carnivores. And those who provide these things are called shepherds. That's why we as sheep need shepherds. Now, some some in your mind right now, some folks may be bristling at this idea or this analogy or this description of us as sheep. How dare you refer to me in that way as a sheep? But I say, really? Come on. We're not sheep. You're that strong. You're that independent. You're that knowledgeable. Never go astray. As one of the songs, the old hymns we sing, prone to stray, prone to stray. I'm prone to stray. You're prone to stray. We just need to embrace our inner sheep and recognize, yeah, God has shepherds and pastors in place because that is something that we indeed need. Matthew nine thirty six, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep. Matthew ten 16, I'm sending you out like sheep. John chapter 10, the wolf attacks the flock, the flock of sheep and scatters it. So our shepherds are responsible for primarily four things, to feed the sheep, spiritually speaking, and that means the Word of God and true doctrine, and to protect the sheep from the attacks of wolves in this analogy. Well, those attacks are primarily false teachers and false doctrine. Thirdly, to go and seek the sheep who go astray, and fourthly, to be accountable to help make sure that the sheep make it to the final destination, which is heaven. All of this is done in connection with their role as overseers. He says, I'm giving oversight, providing oversight, serving as overseers. Now, that word is Episcopal, from which we get Episcopalian. It means overseer. So now we have looked in this one passage at three words for elders. One is elder, meaning older man. One is poimen, meaning shepherd or pastor. And the other is episcopeo here, which means overseer. And some translations, like King James, bishop. That's where they're getting that word. These are not three different offices. This is three terms for one person. Our elders are all these things. An elder is a pastor, is an overseer. Now, when we think of overseer right here, you know, the authority that is inherent in that is married to this word pastor. It's not like Vladimir Putin, I say ghost. It's the authority of a person to relationally pastor, serve, shepherd, sacrifice, help, and encourage. That's, that's the kind of oversight that we're talking about. Violet Hill Farm in West Winfield, New York, is a family farm that sells meat, eggs, mushrooms, and other products at Union Square in New York every Saturday, like a farmer's market. On a weekend in February, owner Mary Carpenter had some extra passengers when she came into the city because she found herself bottle raising seven orphaned newborn lambs. The lambs had to be fed every four hours, so she brought them with her in the back of her converted school bus. Carpenter and her family have a lot of experience hand-raising orphaned lambs. But on Saturday evening, some would-be hero discovered the lambs cavorting in the back of the bus and decided that not only were the lambs cold and hungry, but that he was qualified to rescue them. He broke into the bus, fed the lambs a half gallon of cow's milk. Now, newborn lambs are delicate and very susceptible to scores, a life-threatening illness that can be brought about by an inappropriate diet, which is why Carpenter was bottle-feeding her lambs, specialty milk replacer for lambs, not the same as cow's milk. The person who broke in and fed the lambs cow's milk put their lives at serious risk. Two of the lambs died as a result of the meddling. Now, I relate that because it illustrates a couple of things. Number one, There's more to most jobs than meets the eye, right? And that's true of shepherding. You might look at, well, they're a shepherd. Anybody could do that. No, there's more to shepherding than meets the eye, to raising lambs, to taking care of sheep. It takes some knowledge. It takes skill set that not everybody has. Somebody's got to devote themselves to that, right? And it's true of your job. I'm sure there's more to your job than most people have a clue about. And when we're talking about being an elder, a pastor, an overseer of a local church congregation, there's more to it than meets the eye. And last week when we introduced, or two weeks ago, we introduced uh, uh, Eddie and Randy here who were going to be ordained. We gave a little bio of them and we talked about the course of study that these men go through. They study 12 lessons in Christian doctrine, 13 lessons in Christian doctrine. They study many other books. They study the Faith Once for All, a systematic theology book, college-level book. That's important because those men, those shepherds, are accountable, among other things, for the teaching that takes place in this church. So when you have Christians, especially new Christians, if they come over under the right teaching, the right discipling, and the right doctrine, they can grow and and flourish and thrive they come under bad teaching false doctrine and bad discipleship they can go into a dangerous place so our elders are ultimately responsible to make sure what is taught in our life groups in our bible studies in our sunday school classes what is taught from this pulpit is true it's doctrinally true it's the, it's the word of god it's theologically accurate i am accountable to the elders if I, if I go off into left field, they call me back. I'm accountable to them. And, and that's why we emphasize that. We call that headstrong, head, being headstrong. And it's one of the reasons that, one of the many reasons it's important to place membership in a local congregation most of us have is because these elder shepherds need to know who they are accountable for. You have to have a reasonable span of care. We have a pretty strong visitor flow. We have folks that come in, visit, worship with us, sometimes for weeks or months or even longer, and sometimes they go out. The elders need to know who has committed to come under their oversight and their care. That's part of what's happening when, like, Harold and Hazel place their membership. They're saying, I want to come under the oversight and the care and the shepherding of this particular group. Of elders. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 13, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. All right, here's the third thing we're saying about elders this morning. Elders are hearty men, they're hearty men. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. My dictionary defines the word hearty as warm-hearted, affectionate, genuine, sincere, heartfelt, completely devoted, and wholehearted. Uh, Before I mentioned something about being headstrong, having that knowledge, that doctrinal knowledge, now we're talking about being heart-strong. So Ukraine, in the news, million refugees have left the country. I was reading about Rashab Koshik. He's a student at Kharkiv National University in Ukraine. He has refused to flee the country. He has family in India. He's not going to flee the country because he can't take his dog, his dog with him. He said, if I decided that if my dog can't leave, I won't either. I know there's a risk in staying on, but I just can't abandon him. Who will take care of him if I go? Now, the, the paid dog walker is going to leave the dog behind. But Rashab, he's not because he loves that dog. Some of you are you're like that with your dogs and cats, right? We love our pets. They become like family. not leaving them behind. We love them. Jesus says in John 10:11, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. He isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks him and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. We could say the same thing about President Zelensky over there, who probably, President Zelensky of Ukraine, has more credibility than any politician in the world right now because he could have left the country, right, and governed sort of in exile in absentia, and he said, no, I'm staying here. He's not the hired hand. He lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. And likewise, with these elders, uh, they do it because they want to, because they love God and they love people and they love the church. None of, our, none of our pastors are paid in this congregation. And again, when I say pastor, I'm not talking about me or Kent or Scott or Nate or staff. I'm paid. We're paid. The elders are volunteers. In the 50-year history of this church, all the elders who have served here have all been volunteers, never paid. They do the work because their heart strong. They love you. They love me and us. Uh, So I say hearty men. Now, the fourth and final thing I'm saying this morning from Peter about elders. Elders are glory men, glory men. And when the chief shepherd appears, you, he says, Peter says to you, elders, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, elder work is hard work. I've interacted with scores of elders in 40 years of ministry in several different churches, uh, and they're all they're all hardworking men, all hardworking, and good men. I, I I was thinking about this. I can think of two elders that I have butted heads with in my ministry in the past. Not here. This would have been in, in other places. We butted heads. We didn't see eye to eye. Maybe had some friction there. But even then, I knew those were better men than me. Those are better men than me. They are good, hardworking men. You may not recognize who all the elders are in this church. You may know some, may not know all of them. That's not because they're not working hard. It's because so often their work is behind the scenes. They're doing hard stuff behind the scenes. And often it's thankless kind of work. There's no glory for elders, or deacons for that matter, this side of heaven. But on the other side of heaven, that's a different story. Now, eternal life and heaven is the free gift of God. Whether or not we're an elder does not imp- impact whether or not we go to heaven. That's free gift. Our work, our service, our sacrifice, our giving, none of that. None of that's, that is not impacting heaven. But once we get to heaven, the Bible teaches there are degrees of reward. There are rewards in heaven. There are degrees of reward once we get there that is based upon the work we do, the service that we offer, the sacrifice that we provide. And there's glory in heaven for the elders. Peter said, there's a crown of glory waiting for you. And He's not talking about a crown of gold or jewels. The imagery here is an athletic contest. And back then, like the Olympics they had back then, the victors would have a wreath usually made of leaves or something like that. But it was all about the glory. But having said that, I just want to recognize those here this morning who may have served as an elder or a deacon, in this church, whether currently serving or not, any other church as an elder or a deacon, would you please stand at this time? All right, let's recognize these men. Thank you so much. Thank you. Matthew 25, Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joys of your master. Someday... The elders and the deacons are going to hear that. Now, I'm going to "Band of Brothers" is a true story. It's written by Stephen Ambrose, who's an historian. It's about World War II and this Easy Company. It's a company that landed at Normandy, and he follows them as they go all the way through the war in the Eastern Theater. It's, it's, a, it's a great book if you love history and you like World War II. It was made into a ten-part HBO miniseries, "Band of Brothers," true story. And I'm going to show you a little clip. It's actually in the series, and I can't recommend the series because the language is rough. It's World War II. There's violence, but I did watch it, and I'm going to show you a little clip here, and it's my favorite clip from the series, and I just, let me set it up for you. Easy Company, that's the company we're talking about. They've been stuck in the Arden Forest outside the town of Foy. Winter weather, harsh conditions. They've had a terrible, inept CO, commanding officer. Finally, he's taken out of place. They get a good commanding officer named Lieutenant Spears. But that entire time, their first sergeant, his name is Carwood Lipton. Let me set this up. First sergeant Carwood Lipton, he's been there from the beginning. No, he's not the CO, but he's the guy that's held them all together. And in this scene, they finally have taken the town of Foy. They're recovering and recuperating in a church. You'll see candles lit and a choir is singing. And the lieutenant and this Sergeant Carwood Lipton have a conversation about the events that have taken place. And in this two-minute conversation, I think this is the best cinematic depiction in a World War II setting of what an elder in a church is and does. You'll quickly figure out, if you haven't seen the series, who is the lieutenant and who's the sergeant. So I, want, I just want to show this, and then we'll close We're going to bow forward to prayer. As we're praying, I'm going to ask Randy to come on up and Eddie to come on up and the other elders and deacons, any staff that are in here, come on up on the stage. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus who is our good shepherd. We thank you, Lord, that he has laid down his life for us, his sheep, that he's like a first responder, not running away from the danger, running toward the danger, running toward the wolf on our behalf to take that hit so that we wouldn't have to. We thank you for the men here, Lord, who've dedicated their lives to be shepherds and deacons, servants in the church. And we ask your blessing upon them through this ordination service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.